Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkshire, host, and our guest is Emma Zhang, an assistant professor of sociology. Her research interests lie at the intersection of health and aging, marriage and family, and inequality. Professor Zhang is also a quantitative methodologist. She is particularly interested in developing and evaluating methods to model trajectories and life transitions in order to better understand how demographic and socioeconomic inequalities shape the health and well-being of individuals from life course perspectives. Her work has appeared in a number of scholarly journals, including the American Journal of Sociology, Demography, and the International Journal of Epidemiology. Today, we'll talk with Professor Zhang about the impact of a 2011 Chinese divorce reform on the well-being of husbands and wives. Welcome, Professor Zhang. Thank you for having me today. So let's begin with an overview of your work. Tell us about it. Yeah, uh, so I'm interested in evaluating Chinese social policies. Particularly, I like to think about how specific policy affect men and women differently. Mm -hmm. So in one of my recent work, I examined the effect of the 2011 Chinese divorce reform on men's and women's well-being. So before talking about this divorce reform, let me start with introducing uh, everybody with some background knowledge on Chinese marriage norms and housing. Okay. So uh, in Chinese marriage norms, men are considered the heads of the households. Mm -hmm. So a woman marries into a man's family and joins a new household. The groom's family is responsible for providing the family home as a precondition in order to gain the approval of the bride's family for marriage. Okay. Uh, as a result, um, a man without homes often have a difficult time finding wives in China. Because of this marriage tradition, Chinese parents typically only purchase family homes for their son before marriage, but they don't help their daughters to purchase family homes. Mm -hmm. As a result, the majority of the family homes in China were registered only under the husband's name. So now this is the background. Now let's come back to the 2011 Chinese divorce reform I'm interested in. So before 2011, the divorce law was generally modified to follow the pattern of promoting women's rights. In particular, the family home was generally considered joint, prop uh, joint property upon divorce. Mm -hmm. However, in 2011, the Chinese Supreme Court changed it by stipulating that the uh, family home belongs to the registered owner upon divorce. Okay. So uh, why mm -hmm. did they make that change? So before it, it was basically a division of property between the man and the woman, mm -hmm. and now it's just the, reverts back to just being the, the right. men's property. Right. So why did they make that, um, I would imagine, controversial decision? Yeah, exactly. That's a very good question. So why they would do that? Um, there are actually four social economic forces behind this legal change. Mm -hmm. First is as many Chinese people got richer, there was a strong need to protect personal property. As a result, the Chinese Supreme Court launched uh, its first property law in 2007. Second, um, the housing price in China has been increasing at a rate of 10% per year mm -hmm. since the early 2000s. 
that the result, uh, the husband's birth family typically has to spend a large portion of their family wealth okay. to purchase a home for the son. At the same time, the divorce rate in China has been increasing dramatically. Okay. So the husband's birth family increasingly face the potential of losing a large portion of their family wealth, which felt really, really unfair. Finally, um, social medias, like here, started to play a very important role in supervising government's behaviors. Uh, similar court cases resulting in different court rulings tend to generate a lot of controversy on the internet, which subsequently harms the government's credibility. Mm -hmm. uh, as a result, there was a need for the Chinese government to have a divorce law that was simple, specific, clear, and was consistent with the spirit of the property law they launched in 2007. As a result, the 2011 Chinese divorce reform was enacted. Okay, so what led you to um, want to look at this phenomenon? Yeah, so um, the, gen the progress of gender equality in China has attracted a lot of attention lately. Mm -hmm. um, as China has gotten richer, many people would expect uh, the gender inequality situation would, would improve. Mm -hmm. However, if we look at the uh, Global Gender Gap Index published by the World Economic Forum, China ranks the 46th percentile in terms of gender equality in 2006, but has continued to decline during the past decade. In 2016, China fell all the way down to the 31st percentile. Aggregate statistics also show that Chinese women are disadvantaged compared to Chinese men in almost all aspects, mm -hmm. including income, education, uh, and re political representation, and so on. Um, despite these aggregate statistics, relatively few studies have looked at the micro-level gender inequality, or we call the intra-household gender inequality. So this is really surprising to me because one of the most important features of the Chinese society is that it is organized around the family unit. Mm -hmm. uh, so actually, intra-household uh, intra gender inequality has existed in China for thousands of years. Mm -hmm. Many Chinese people, including Chinese policymakers, tend to view this inequality as some kind of Chinese tradition rather than a pressing social issue. Mm -hmm. So according to a survey conducted by the government in 2006 and then again in 2010, not only Chinese men, but also Chinese women increasingly believe men should take care of things outside of the household, whereas women should take care of things within the household. Mm -hmm. So all these facts got me to think, what is going on? So when I was deciding my dissertation topic, I wanted to do something related to intra-household gender inequality. So eventually, I focused on uh, intra-household property rights because uh, the ownership of house and lending accounts for 80% of Chinese household wealth. Mm -hmm. And this 2011 Chinese divorce reform provides a unique opportunity for me to uh, estimate the causal effect of intra-household property rights. Okay, so I am curious to know, you had said that um, prior to this um, 2011 reform that divorce rates were increasing, and mm -hmm. that was probably one of the reasons why this reform was put into place. So now has there been a chilling effect on divorce rates? Have you seen them go, go down since that reform was instituted? Yeah, that's a very good question. Actually, uh, I look at divorce rates and men's and women's well-being. In terms of divorce rate, you're right, for sure, this divorce reform actually decreases uh, divorce rate. Because now, like women, they don't dare to divorce anymore. If mm -hmm. they divorce, they will lose a place to live. Right. 
Yeah, right. Okay, so um, what other um, findings um, did you come to in doing this research? Yeah, so uh, I also have looked at the effect of this legal change on men's and women's well-being. So I found that in the long term, uh, this legal change decreases women's well-being. However, these negative effects on women's well-being were weakened in the long run because Chinese couples figure out a way to abide by the more traditional Chinese marriage norm. Uh, in, my, in my study, I actually have some evidence showing that um, a, lot, a large proportion of the Chinese households where what's kind of typical Chinese household where only the husband's name is on the deed, they uh, transfer their property to their children right after the legal change. So this is really interesting because we don't see this in any other countries. Um, besides transferring property to their children... They I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but why are they doing that, do you think? Yeah, so uh, there are several possibilities. First is like, oh, now, like because of the legal change, mm -hmm. uh, the woman lost family home, uh, there, there could be three options, right? First, they could add the wife back to the deed. Mm -hmm. So that would uh, become normal or become the original situation. Mm -hmm. Or they could even transfer the property to the wife to make the wife happy. Or they could transfer the property to the children or to someone else. Mm -hmm. But most of them actually choose to transfer the property to the children. My guess is, uh, so there, there's one possibility. They may think, oh, now we transfer the property to the children. So if we get divorced, nobody will get the property anymore, mm -hmm. our children will get it. Okay. So in this case, like either the husband and all the, all the wife are concerned about divorcing, mm -hmm. uh, which they think actually is good for the children in the traditional Chinese wisdom. Right. Another possibility is uh, because of the housing regulation, uh, China launched uh, this uh, policy uh, saying there will be heavy taxes attached to the second home. So if they transfer their property to their children early on, then it's possible for the parents to buy a second home. I see. Right. Okay. So how are you doing the research, or how did you do the research for the study? Yeah, so I use the longitudinal uh, data set, which is national representative. Uh, it's called the China Family Panel Studies. Uh, so I have uh, around 23,000 individuals in my sample. Mm -hmm. So these people were interviewed in 2010 first, which is one year before the legal change. And then they were followed up uh, in 2012, 2014, and 2016. So I have uh, uh, the information about them regarding the property rights and their well-being and other outcomes before and after the legal change. Mm -hmm. uh, so treating this uh, Chinese divorce reform as a natural experiment, I conduct careful analysis using econometric techniques to mm -hmm. estimate the causal effect of this legal change. Okay, uh, now you use the term well-being, that's somewhat of a subjective term. Mm -hmm. So how do you um, account for that in, in your work? Right, yeah, so actually you looked at a variety of indicators of well-being. As you said, well-being is a really broad term. So the traditional measure of well-being uh, in the literature is actually uh, subjective well-being. So I also have this measure. But a lot of people, they think a subjective well-being could be very nosy, depends on uh, your mood today and tomorrow. Mm -hmm. uh, so I also look at other indicators, such as uh, your confidence about future and uh, the hours you spend per day doing labor market work and hours you spend per day doing housework and, uh, and also your body weight. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Um, so what do you conclude in your study? 
Right. So in the long term, I find this uh, negative effects on women. Um, so basically, it shows that um, it shows a case about how a similar gender neutral policy could have gender consequences. Uh, so this policy seems to be gender neutral from a legal perspective. As a lot of people have argued, they didn't mention specifically women or men. They just mentioned whoever has, uh, has his name down on the deed. Uh, however, as that my study shows, it is not gender neutral in the Chinese social context. So my findings really highlight the importance of advancing gender equality. Uh, important implications for Chinese policymakers is that they should consider gender equality as uh, an important goal when making, uh, when making social policies. Mm -hmm. So moving forward, do you think that reform will stand, or do you think it will revert possibly to where it had been originally? Yeah, it's really difficult to say. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so because the lawmaking process in China is very different from the uh, process here, uh, so it really depends on like how the Chinese government think about the current situation. But uh, there has been a lot to push back about mm -hmm. this 2011 Chinese divorce, divorce reform. Right, okay. And then, uh, so for your work, are you going to build upon this study? Yeah, of course. So in this work, I look at the effects of the legal change on married men's and women's well-being. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in my next uh, work, I'm going to look at how this legal change affects children in this household mm -hmm. and single women on the marriage market. So these two are very interesting cases. Uh, I, I, as some of the prelim preliminary results shows that um, single women start to started to buy property by themselves more before mm -hmm. marriage. Okay. And also they tend to postpone their age or first marriage. So these are possible responses uh, to this divorce reform. Interesting. And for children, uh, there could be different directions because their mother are definitely worse off because of this legal change. So if their mother is worse off, they could be worse off as well. Mm -hmm. uh, or, however, as we see, the Chinese parents started to transfer property to the children uh, when they were really young. Mm -hmm. That means that the younger generation Chinese, they, uh, they will have like a, a, a lot of valuable property in mm -hmm. hand under their name. This will have important implications to the general inequality pattern in China. Mm -hmm. Okay, fascinating. Thank you so much for being here with us and sharing some of your work. Thanks so much for having me. For more information about Professor Zhang and her research, please visit our website at macmillanreport.yale.edu. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale.